Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Ads. Um, before Christmas, I started doing a, a tiered list of rookie stats I like to use um, when making rookie evaluations by, by position. I did wide receivers two episodes ago, and then I... Uh, I broke the flow with a Christmas episode where I looked at things that I got particularly wrong in the top 12. But this week we're getting back to it. Um, after championship week, we're going to look at running back rookie statistics, so their college statistics, the ones that I particularly like looking at why and uh, you know how I rank them. Um, mostly the golden rule here is I try not to ignore any information and incorporate all of it into my understanding and ranking of a player. But, you know, ranks are cool, and uh, it sounded like a good idea, so we're going to go for it. So, let's do that. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the math's not adding up, you said I'm checking it out. I'm in the pile, working to the ground. Yeah, so hey, welcome back. Last time we looked at wide receiver statistics from college that I like to use in rookie evaluations. Now, obviously, I've got models, which are worth as bad as much as, you know, a model made by a guy who's not really a statistician trying to make models using small samples to create rookie ranks for fantasy, which should tell you everything you need to know. I like them, but I, I certainly don't trust them. My ranks don't always reflect them. But those are the things that test the highest, obviously, because I've combined statistics specifically to create higher correlation to NFL success or... My main measure of success in the NFL, well, modeling for rookie statistics is I use the average points per game through a player's first three years. So I test statistics against that, just in case you're actually a nerd and you're wondering what I, how I measure success. It's not great, even then. I mean, especially when we've got Rashad Penny going off in year, what, nine right now? He's 55 years old at this point. Um, or Devontae Parker breaking out in year four, or whatever else. But as far as a measure for who was the best rookie overall in a draft class, I found the average points per game for the first three years. If you go back and you rank players based on that metric using the NFL statistics, you create a pretty good list of you would probably rather been 
the most happy if you had drafted them in this order, just using a single number. Now, obviously, it's not perfect, but when looking to test statistics, you need some sort of uh, y, variable, y variable. You need something to test it against, and I found that to be the single best one. Um, I've also tested college statistics against their target share and their expected points and their expected points per game, and all those testing results are still in the in the formulas and results tab uh, in the college database, which uh, I guess it's almost time to repin on Twitter, which will be an exciting moment for me. Um, I do have a, a sophomore model, which I'm thinking of expanding, and this is just literally talking off the top of my head, and I probably shouldn't, um, to a season score, which is essentially creating a score that adjusts for their career year, but assesses them based on past performances, um, and I think would be a way of saying whether a player had a good or a bad or an exceptional year, no matter what year they were playing in, instead of just looking at the the sophomore rating uh, in order to get an idea of how good a rookie year was compared to past years. I want to do it kind of for all positions and all career years, because I think that would be useful in a number of ways. When or If I'm ever able to create that, it might be a good idea to go back and test college statistics against that number, instead of points per game. But honestly, uh, most recently, I was in order to start thinking about creating that, I was actually, uh, I was actually testing um, the sophomore model compared to a lot of other things, and it tested even just, especially once I expanded it to all positions, it tested about as good as points per game. So even right now, um, if I were to convert it over, I don't have a better measure for who was the best rookie to draft at any particular position than average points per game. Which again, it's probably five minutes I should take out the show because it would only interest the three actual nerds who understand this stuff better than I do um, in terms of the overall methodology. But uh, just stalling, I guess. Um, with wide receivers, just as a reminder, the stats I came up with just as a tiered list of the ones I prefer and think have the most use or why they have use um, for wide receiver prospecting makes me think of goal prospecting every time. And uh, it's funny. Sorry, it's funny to me. But is receiving yards per team pass attempt. I find that remarkably useful for wide receiver position. That's my tier one stat. Uh, and what I find to be the most predictive, and it's included in my uh, pre-draft model, and has the strongest weighting in that model as well, which is then folded onto the post-draft model, which just basically adjusts that by draft capital. And my tier two stat, yeah, that's right, just one stat in the tier one. Um, let's actually do a list because again, uh, one of the one of the things I get meant. One of the bits of feedback I do get about this podcast is sometimes summarizing. And so I'm going to summarize here. Receiving yards per team pass attempt, which I get. We have to come up with a branding uh, and a better name for. But that's my favorite statistic for wide receiver uh, college statistics. Now, second is market share of receiving yards, or just percentage of the overall uh, receiving yards for that team. And I do like to look at all statistics on an age basis, or what they did in age at age 18, 19, 20. Um, my tier 3 stats were what I called indicators, dominator ratings. I actually find if you apply the dominator formula, which is just best and last year, to other statistics, you can create different kinds of dominators. And in my college market share database, um, I have the dominator rating applied to both yards per team pass attempt, and also their overall share of the offense, so their college dominator rating, 
which is uh, one most traditionally looked at, but you can do that for for uh, just some market share receiving yards as well. And I find that interesting. So I just created that tier three status, dominators in general. They're indicators though, because they don't rank well. Um, and also you have to adjust for players that have uh, only played one year or only played less than 16 games and so on and so forth. So I do like to look at them just to get a sense of where they fit in. But about the same rate that I also like to look at breakout ages. Um, and so they're a tier three stat as well. And that they're an indicator there might be something wrong or right on a profile. But you really have to dig into how often they were playing and how those stats were put together to understand where it comes in but i do like them as holistic indicators for whether a pro player has an overall good or a bad profile and so they're my tier three stat my tier four stats were basically just combine metrics because i find them remarkably descriptive of how they might fit into archetypal examples of previous players to get a sense of what they might do in the nfl are they more of a slot player are they more of a downfield receiver like uh, tyree kill or ty hilton or even deshaun jackson you Usually that's just referenced in terms of BMI because there is at least a weighting between height and weight um, onto some sort of scale, which is nearly neither medically relevant nor fantasy relevant, but it is create a single number. But I hate BMI, and so mostly I just say, look at their height and weight to get a sense of who they are and how they might play in the NFL along with their 40 time. But those are my tier four stats. If you're looking for some sort of adjusted Athleticism metric, where there are many, none of them are predictive because college statistics are mostly descriptive and they're not, in not at all predictive. Um, but the one I like to look at is weight-adjusted speed score for wide receivers because I find it the most useful of those adjusted um, athleticism metrics. Things like Spark tests the worst, not the best, um, in my experience, and so does Spork and the other composite athleticism metrics I've seen. And so I just like weight-adjusted speed score because it's kind of doing something of that descriptive job. It's looking at their overall size and adjusting their speed um, based on that size. And so it creates basically... Uh, for my money, the best is overall descriptive view without making it so complicated that it actually loses any... It doesn't lose signal. It doesn't really have signal. But I, I think we're... Uh, what's the term? Peering at eggshells? I don't know. I forget what it is. We're making things overly complicated and thinking we're seeing more than we're seeing. And you can start to overread into athleticism if you get too deep into some of those composite metrics. So I just like weight-adjusted speed score. There's an overall sense of uh, what type of wide receiver they are. You can also just get that view by watching them um, or by listening to Zach Reed or J. Uh, J. Mike Check from the Dynasty Dummies podcast. Just explain it, which is also something I do. Again, with all rookie evaluation, why ignore any information? Take everything in that you can, especially from trusted sources that hopefully you develop from listening to your own creators and finding who you particularly like uh, or think hits well or does a good job describing effectively a player's overall skill set or ability or likelihood translating to the NFL. And I take all of that into account as well. But for my process, um, outside of just spitting out these model numbers, this tends to be the order in which I'll look at a player's statistics to get a sense for myself of how well they produce. Now, overall, for the wide receiver position, and I don't know why I'm doing this podcast all over again, but essentially it's uh, looking at all of these stats plotted on a graph against their age. Now, it's not a pass 
it's not an exponential scale in that you do better on that kind of look at a, uh, at a rookie than you're more likely or more likely to see better in the NFL. It's just more of an over or under threshold to get an idea of this if this player played well in their particular situation at the ages they played at, or if they play below average. And that's mostly what I'm looking at for all rookie evaluation. All right, so now I've rehashed in 12 minutes what I spent 40 minutes explaining in the first one. Let's take a look at running back. Um, all right, uh, let me pull up that list. So uh, the statistic that I like the best for rookie evaluation of the running back position is actually yards per team attempt, not yards per team pass attempt, which is the one I primarily use in the NFL. Why well, yards per team attempt test better? Ultimately, is the reason is why I started looking it into a little bit more. And also, if I'm restricting it to just pass attempt, was um, just kind of, again, squinting at eggshells and trying to squeeze out a little more, more signal um, than was necessary. Just looking overall at team attempts, so how many times they passed and ran the ball, gave her a better holistic view for running back entirely. Um, I find it to be the most predictive step, just based on my testing. It scored, and the R-squared um, of running back statistics is markedly lower by, you know, uh, a tiering, if you will, in that uh, receiving yards, or yards, not receiving yards, total yards for team pa team attempt um, ranks at about 0.19, whereas the highest uh, statistics or receiving yards per team pass attempt for wide receiver, I was just mentioning, tests about... 0.23, if memory serves. I could look it up, but I'm holding my coffee right now, so I'm not going to. Either way, they're substantially lower. And, and the other thing I notice with running back statistics is if you go in and sort by any one particular statistic and then organize by draft class, it does a poorer job ranking. In fact, most any statistic, any single statistic, if you go and perform that exercise, just rank highest to lowest and then rank by class so you can look you know, at last year's class and the class before, you'll find the rankings that that creates utterly terrible. You'll notice that some good players are rising to the surface, but also some lower conference players are rising in between them or sometimes above them, and which is remarkably depressing and why a lot of people think that conference adjustments are obviously the answer, except for the fact they're not, because conference adjustments don't work that way and actually reduce the signal. But it is notable that if you uh, sort or organize by any statistic that I like or I mentioned in this podcast or the last one, it creates a terrible ranking list. And that's partly why um, I was mentioning, like I did just now, that you're not looking for an exponential likelihood of success or ceiling for success, i.e. you did better in college adjusted by age, therefore you have a higher ceiling. It's more a pass-test high high-low model in that you're either doing well or you're doing below average and that's really what you're looking for you do that enough and get a good sense of where they played and honestly once adjusted for draft capital you can create a pretty effective idea of who's more likely to break out based on draft capital who's more likely to do well in the nfl based on their overall performance in college but you can find uh, sometimes way, way too many players so that's why we have more than one statistic i guess Anyway, where was I? Yeah, yards per team attempt is uh, my first tier one stat of running back. Now, with wide receiver, I really only had one. But I also like adjusted yards per team attempt uh, for running back. Now, the adjustment is just 
adding extra points for the receiving yards. In fact, this is something that Anthony Amico suggested I put into the database and also started trying to model out and using my um, my running back models because I was having trouble with it. And he said just times receiving yards by two, effectively, is the adjustment. And so you times receiving yards by two, add them to running yards, and then divide it by total team attempts. And so it's just adding a little extra weight to players that are used more heavily in the receiving game. Now, for running back statistics entirely, now that's the entire first tier, I like to look at a player's best year in that the year that they had the most production or the most dominant. I had the lead role at running back, say, Miles Sanders in his final year after Saquon Barkley left the NFL the year before. I find, uh, and for those reasons and others, I find the best year of a, uh, a college running back statistics actually to be the most useful overall for getting a sense of who they are and where they fit into the landscape. Now, it's noticeable that when doing testing, the average still tests the best. If you test their best year, their last year, their first year, the average still tests overall most of the time as the best number to look at. Remember, we were talking about, if you did listen to that, the wide receiver episode where I was saying uh, people, honestly, it's a hard to f- sometimes it's easy to forget that you can look at a single statistic in any one context and have an entirely different number. For example, you can look at the average of their career across one different statistic or their best year, last year, and first year. <coughs> well, that mostly just seems like making the, the issue more complicated. It's actually remarkably, uh, there is insight to be gained by breaking it down that way which is why, as well as breaking down college statistics by age at the front of the database, I have it broken down that way, the first, last, and average. Now, with most statistics, um, you're going to be looking at some composite number, like college dominator averages, essentially, a player's best and last year. And that's a statistic that's very popular on Player Profiler and some other statistics sites as well. But it's not really listed unless you're calculating it or you go look at their glossary. You don't know you're looking at a composite of the best and the last, and so you might not have thought about that before. But you can actually learn more about them by looking at their overall breakdown. I don't know why I said that so weirdly, but there you go. All right, so uh, one of the things I noticed that the average is the most useful because it heavily adjusts for that first year. If you make, and I did um, getting ready for this podcast, a list of rookies that were both hits and misses and then look at some of these statistics and see where the difference is coming from, noticeably, and the player's average score, which again, tests as the highest correlation, and the biggest adjustment is coming from that rookie year where they were significantly below average in either yards per team attempt or adjusted yards per team attempt. And yet that first year, we know, or I think I know, based on looking at the overall testing, is the I would, would have thought was the least relevant. Because, again, Miles Sanders playing behind Saquon Barkley his first year doesn't seem to be a fair judgment on him. Now, whether we're just getting lucky, or it actually says something about a player where even when it's your first year and you're not the dominant player in your first year, or you don't have the full role in your first year, and that indicates something about your ability to earn opportunity, I do not know. But it is noticeable if you looked at a list, and I think... the off the top of my head, 
the names I was looking at was like Rashad Penny, who's obviously notable right now, um, and also Bishop Shanky next to Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. And if you look at yards per team attempt, it's very noticeable that Saquon Barkley has one of the best scores in yards per team attempt or anything else. Um, and it's Markley because he had the role year one, and so his first year yards per team attempt looks great. Christian McCaffrey looks less great, but it still looks better, and there's less of a, an adjustment down than for Bishop Sankey and uh, for Rashad Penny. So again, I don't know what I'm capturing there, but it's worth knowing that's partly why it's adjusting. The first year doesn't matter, but that first year adjustment when it's built into the average for something like yards per team attempt or adjusted yards per team attempt is helping the signal and creating a better even just ranking list because it's detracting players who weren't able to do enough or get enough opportunity and um, to do anything in terms of yards in that first year and i think that's notable it's also notable that all of this is adjusted it's not adjusted per game because i found those to have less relevance but if a player doesn't play at least eight games in their college season then the statistic literally isn't recorded so their first year is the first year they play eight games or more so that's some caveats and some information about statistics, I guess. And again, a reminder of that first year, it's yards per team attempt and adjusted yards per team attempt, which is just essentially doubling uh, players receiving yardage, adding it to their rushing yardage, and then dividing that by their team's uh, attempts per game. All of that is per game, actually. All right, my second tier stats for running backs. Again, the, the indicator class. Actually, points per game is a little bit better than an indicator, but I'm going to call it an indicator anyway. Um, I've talked about this on YouTube and also on this podcast before. Uh, fantasy points in and of itself are essentially just a model. They're weighting certain statistics by an arbitrary number in this case. It's not a coefficient um, found by using a Y variable and creating a coefficient to create the highest test scoring or anything like that. But essentially, it's just a weighted model. You're weighting touchdowns by six you're waiting yards by 0.1 and you're multiplying it all together and receptions if it's ppr scoring which in this case it is by a single point but it's just weighting certain statistics and how many they have by in this case arbitrary weightings but weightings that we consider to have certain value so yeah in terms of uh, fantasy points of statistic actually has some value as creating a composite measure of how productive a player was in the same way that fantasy points were at least initially and originally meant to create um some sort of measure of how productive a player was in an individual game so if you got more points that player was more productive and therefore that's why you win that week i think we've moved away from that thinking somewhat these days but um i that's where my understanding came to with college statistics when I found that PPR points or points per game for a running back, which is actually a remarkably useful tool for getting a sense of if a player was dominant, had an overall role, or was particularly productive. Now, something that is interesting at running back statistics um, is that adjusting it for the conference average is remarkably effective. Yards per team attempt and adjusted yards per team attempts both enter my uh, production model, which then becomes part of my post-draft model, um, for running back. And both in both of them, the numbers that the model wanted to use was conference adjustments. Now, I mentioned that late, 
mostly because, again, once you start creating ranking lists by literally filtering columns, you start to think that a lot of these players rising to the top and making the rankings look poor is because they're from lower conferences. Again, there's some justification to that reasoning, but even at running back, when I go back and make conference adjustments, uh, one, some lower conferences actually have lower adjustments because the conference in and of itself actually creates lower statistics for certain positions. And so it's not always linear in that just because you're from a lower conference, you shouldn't have a higher expectation in overall statistics. And that's one of the reasons that it actually doesn't create a lot of aid um, for creating a, a model or even um, rookie evaluations or ranking lists. But when you look at points per game or yards per team attempt, if you look at the average for the conference for running back one on their team, which is um, something that I actually have in the database, but it's a little bit of a tricky formula because defining the running back one on a team in a conference is actually a little tricky because of the way the college college actually uses running backs. But we got it done. And uh, yeah, it's actually remarkably helpful. For example, just filtering through uh, last year's class and trying to find it in an orderly as quick as I can all right here we go so the average PPR point points per game output for Travis and ETN was 21 points per game the average for the conference RB1 was 16.1 now the best year for Najee Harris in points per game was actually 31.7 significantly higher than Travis ETN even though both had the role Travis um, Najee Harris notably played four years, which is, if memory serves, which is slightly usable, for, unusual for a first-round running back, and a lot of people tilted over it, but he had a higher ceiling. And so his conference-adjusted points-per-game average actually came out overall higher because we tend to look at the best year for running backs, but it was notable that in the average, Travis Etienne was better. Travis Etienne's going to be an interesting conversation this year. But, yeah, just... I, I don't want to run through too many examples because this is meant to just be a simple list while I talk way too much about them. But still, um, points per game is an interesting indicator of whether a player played above or below their conference level. And so I like to look at it through that lens as well. Again, this is literally just four columns in the database, so it's not overly complicated to look at. You can just look at PPR, points per game, first, last, best, and average. And right next to it, in the PA Howdy scores, there's a little column that points out the conference average for points per game. And it's just a quick eye test of who was higher and over. Now, I've also actually calculated that as well in other columns, but I tend to remove it because, again, I try to limit the size of these databases so people don't get mad at me. But the other interesting thing about points per game and why I like it, despite the fact it tests fairly well, even compared to yards per team attempt and adjusted yards per team attempt, is just we understand what fantasy points are. When you see 20 points, even though I'm not familiar with college, I know roughly how many yards a play and touchdowns a player was putting out if you're putting out a 20-point-per-game output. And again, it is noticeable that for college statistics, players tend to have you know eye-popping statistics on a per-game basis compared to the NFL because it's pretty much just a more prolific game overall. But at least the number itself makes intuitive sense to a fantasy player. And so I like it as an indicator for that reason. Again, uh, what I tend to look at is their average points per game output and compare it to their conference running back one output. Um, The average. Uh, The other indicator I have is dominator. 
um, honestly. Now, again, with Dominator, you can also calculate it several different ways, but we're just going to keep it simple and use the College Dominator formula of averaging a player's best in last year, just so everyone understands where we're at. You can apply that to market share receiving yards, yards per team pass attempt, both of which I like to look at, but total College Dominator, and the reason I put total in there is because I'm adding receiving and rushing yards for the team and the player together to create a total college dominator i don't know how player profiler does that one to be clear or any other statistic site you're looking at but where college dominators largely associate with player profiler i'm just going to reference them and um, i don't know if they're calculating college dominator that way um so that's worth noting i don't know what statistic you're looking at when you go to the, uh, a player profiler page it might be exactly that way but you can also you could just do a rushing college dominator which i've actually calculated before and i think is in the database largely i find that less effective i think using receiving yards for running back is always more useful because the more likely, the more players used in the receiving game in college, the more likely a player is to be used in the receiving game in the NFL. And the more you're used in the receiving game in the NFL, the softer floor, the higher floor you have is a simpler way of looking at it. But also the easier path you have to fantasy relevance because of those that extra ability to score fantasy points. More running backs are going to finish in the top 12 or the top 24 with a receiving role than without one. And while it doesn't mean that you can't be a top 24, top 12, or top 5 running back in the NFL without a receiving role, Derek Henry exists, it does mean that they're less likely and less common than someone who's just looking for what happens most often, which is my entire process, is going to favor the receiving game. There are other ways of demonstrating the utility of the receiving game, but that's mine for rookie running backs, I guess. So I like to total college dominator just because it creates a percentage number, which is fairly easy to understand. Travis Etienne had a 29.3 college dominator rating, total college dominator rating. Again, to be clear, I'm using receiving yards in this. And Najee Harris had 39.4. In fact, college dominated works really well as an eye test of did this player develop a significant, you know, workhorse role? Um, at the running back position. For example, the running backs off the top of my head that have over 40% in total college dominator, uh, Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. And I'm pretty sure they're all over 40% in total college dominator, which sounds great. But also Trent Richardson and also, uh, who else comes to mind? Rashad Penny was over 40% as well. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm going to go over here and fill this column. Keyshawn Vaughn, Eno Benjamin, Philip Lindsay, that's a pretty good one. Aaron Jones was over 50%. He was just a different kind of cat in college. But anyway, Jeremy McNichols, Kenneth Dixon. You can see there are a whole bunch of misses here as well. Again, that's why ranking by one of the statistics doesn't help. But once you've done the simple due diligence of looking if a player has pretty good yards per team attempt on average... Um, and how that compares to the rest of his draft class, especially once you know that draft capital, and his adjusted yards per team attempt. And if you've got a sense of how productive they were in PPR, then their total dominator rating is going to give you a pretty good indication of if they are a workhorse or not in college. So the first couple are about their performance, performance compared to past players in that conference. And that last one, this... Uh, this 
um, other uh, second tier indicator stat I use as kind of an idea of if they were a dominant workhorse. Miles Sanders, for example, uh, produced just over 22%. But again, remember that's adjusted for the fact that Saquon Barkley was a large workhorse for the majority of the time that Miles Sanders was in college. But I do find it a good eye test kind of indicator stat if I'm just going to look at one. And so I'm going to put that in that second tier with points per game as well. All right. Recap, first tier, yards per team attempt and adjusted yards per team attempt, predictive. Second tier, points per game, PPR, and dominator rating, specifically the total college dominator rating, um, are pretty good indicators once you have an understanding of how productive or um, efficient as well they were um, in college compared to other players in that conference that played a running back one position at least. Um, third tier, and I actually only have three tiers for running backs right now. No, I created a fourth, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, uh, I, this is a descriptive tier again. And so again, whatever measures you care to use to get an idea of how they are built, structured, and fit archetypal examples in the NFL, honestly, I think are fine. Height, weight, BMI, it's all good. But what I'm looking for is a description of how they fit particular roles in the NFL or what type of archetypal examples um, they might match up to. And I do put them in third tier. Like I'm literally uninterested in these things outside of getting a general sense of how they play. Mostly I get that information from taking on the evaluation of film. Um, grinders like Zachary, like J. Mike Chake, like formerly of this podcast, Jake Anderson. Um, so yeah, you can do it that way too. But if you're just into combine numbers, this is where I'd fit them in, getting a good idea of how they're built, so how they might fit into archetypal examples. And none of it means anything if they weren't productive in college to me. So that's why it comes here in the third tier. And the fourth tier that I created is kind of, I don't know what to call it. It's like an eyeball test, the Zach Reed rule test. Um, overall, again, based on what I already said about the receiving work for college players into the NFL, I do like to get a better sense of how much of a receiver they they were. Now, again, you can kind of insert anything into this fourth tier. The one that I put in here is um, the number of years they had over 20 receptions. Again, that's what Zach Reed is always quoting. Um, and so I called it the Zach Reed rule and I put it in the database it's not particularly important uh, or like getting two years or one year. I'm just trying to get a sense of how much of a receiver they were. Um, and again, you can adjust that by where they were playing. If a team is constantly throwing to the running back, it's notable. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. Um, and the way... This is, again, what I always end up saying with uh, Zachary when he brings it up. If a team evaluates, spends hours and countless scouting effort to scout a player they're scouting what he's doing in college and if they don't see him using the receiving game they don't scout for that because he's not doing it if he is using the receiving game they see that and so they evaluate how good he is and so when they draft him they draft him for what they have evaluated him doing if they just see him running they probably are drafting him to utilize that skill set. Not that they might not want to expand it or that he might not be capable of it, but it's less likely that they are drafting a player to do something they have not seen him do um, before they get to the NFL. The NFL really isn't a developmental league. There are very, very few examples of a player 
barely being used in the receiving game at the running back position in college and expanding it significantly, like to a significant degree where they have that floor and that upside and that larger potential of finishing inside certain position rankings in the NFL. Literally, the only example I know off the top of my head is Melvin Gordon, who still had over 20 receptions in a, re- in a year and was, like most players on a football field who um, and the running back position, he did catch balls and was used in the receiving game. It was just below average for most running backs who have a significant receiving floor in, in the NFL. But yeah, it can happen because obviously these are NFL level athletes. It's just as a rule, you want to get a sense of if a college team is evaluating this guy as someone who might contribute in the receiving game. Having said that, it works the opposite way as well. Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, um, who else? Uh, Kenneth Gainwell. They all profile as highly prolific receiving running backs in college, especially adjusted for the position, who were markedly not used in the receiving game in the NFL. Again, it's fairly rare, in the same way that Melvin Gordon expanding his role was fairly rare. Josh Jacobs... One of the notable pluses on his profile was he was this really good college running back as a receiver. And a marked point of his NFL um, output has been the Raiders just completely almost refusing to use him in the receiving game. I I don't know how to explain that. Um, I can explain a team not doing it when they didn't see him doing it a lot more than I can explain that. I don't know. The Raiders make weird decisions is one explanation, but it can happen to other players as well. Again, I, I seem to think, seem to remember Kenneth Gamewell profiling as a better receiving running back, and yet he's not being used overly as a receiving running back while other running backs have that job ahead of him as a rookie either, and there are some other examples as well. So it's worth noticing, noting that while this is just and a good thing to get a sense of what a running back did in the receiving game in college. There are extremes at either end um, that you should be aware of. A highly prolific receiver in college can suddenly lose a lot of receiving work when they get to the NFL. In the same way that a running back not overly used in the receiving game can start to be used more in the NFL. It's just the extremes of the sample. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, so yeah, those are the stats I like most running back. And again, in sum, yards per team attempt, yards adjusted yards per team attempt, points per game, total dominant, total college dominator rating, uh, 40 time in BMI or whatever combined statistics you want to use, um, and then you know some sort of measure of how much they were used in the receiving game. And I'm going to go with the number of years they caught over 20 receptions um in their college career you can also use just receiving yards percentage or uh target share to be fair um but i don't find it particularly predictive or descriptive uh well not well it's descriptive of how much they were used in the receiving game but descriptive of their overall potential role in the nfl which is what i use that third tier for um with their you know some measure of their combine stats all right uh, I felt like that one just kind of petered to the end there. But yeah, that's those are the stats that I look at first. If I'm just looking through the data once I finally uh, stuff it in um, uh, to the college database that I'll run through. Those are the ones that I find most useful and I'll pay the most attention to. I actually pay 
as much attention to all of them, but that's how I would tier it and how I'd rank it and how I value it. And you've got to do well in the tier one stats before I even care about those tier three and four stats. Um, now, obviously, as I said with wide receiver, and it's true of every position, draft capital matters the most, especially as a single thing, but also it matters the most for opportunity, which is kind of everything. If you're going to be successful in the NFL, you're going to need to get on the field, and draft capital tells us the most about who is going to do that. Now, again, to mention Rashad Penny, because that's a fun thing happening or ha- that happened this year. Running back, especially once you've done all this work, right, and you grind it down, running back literally feels at this point to me just your best guess at who's going to be the team's number one running back, who's going to get the most opportunity or could get opportunity at some point that that year or that rookie year or that sophomore year. Damian Harris was drafted as running back 10, by the way, in 2019. Actually, not the running back 10, the player, the 10th player off the board in 2019 and rookie draft ADP in August was Damian Harris. And there are a lot of running backs that fall to that area of the draft, the late first round, because you can always envision some running back getting opportunity. And opportunity is king. Having said that, these are this is the way I evaluate the player. And then ultimately, you just have to make your best guess at who's going to get the most opportunity the earliest. And running back quite often just feels like a game of a guessing game of who is going to get opportunity, the most opportunity, and the earliest opportunity. Now, again, some players I, I can't. Once you've done all of that, in all of those statistics, by the way, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Derek Henry outside the receiving usage, and, and Aaron Jones always stood out. Um, and luckily, sometimes we catch these Aaron Joneses, Joneses that don't just have good or large workhorse roles and were drafted in the first three rounds, which is always what you want, onto a good time behind another running back. Aaron Jones was just exponentially more productive than most running backs drafted in the first round. And he wasn't from a lower conference. And he was using the receiving game. And his combined stats and his build and his makeup actually fit the profile. And it's relatively rare that we find those guys um, deeper in the draft or not drafted as running back one overall. So that's normally not what I'm fishing for. What you're normally fishing for is an Austin Eckler, who's undrafted. Or Mondo Stevenson, who wasn't used as much as a receiver, but was pretty good in yards per team attempt basis, who went to an interesting situation, who could earn opportunity in New England. And that's mostly the passing game we I end up doing at the running back position, while moaning the Kenneth Gamewells, who seem to have been really good that one year, um, and, you know, mostly just end up being a backup running back on a team that didn't actually spend that much draft capital on them when you really think about it. But um, let me know what you think. Let me know what I should add to the list or what else you might want to see in the database. Um, ultimately, my model, my pre-draft model and draft capital um, is what I look at primarily. But then when I'm breaking down how those scores were created, especially the post-draft model, I run through this process of running through these statistics in this order and putting that decreasing uh, level of uh, interest on them. First tier are the most important. I have to cross the thresholds before I'm really interested in the second tier, but it's not like I won't go down the list. And sometimes they fit the physical profile so they at least might earn some opportunity and that still has some value because ultimately 
this college is the same as the NFL. You could be really good and not get playing time at the running back position. And that's much more likely at the running back position than at the wide receiver position. Still very unlikely, but more likely than I think you can force the issue and earn playing time much more so at a receiving role than you can at a running back role where you can literally just not be on the field because there's a premium talent or a premium asset. What do they call them in college? Recruits? I don't know. Um, ahead of you, and so you just get less playing time. Again, this is an issue that might get notably more interesting as Travis May tells us, the NFL transfer port transfer portal and and players moving from team to team to find opportunity is getting increasingly common and um, i haven't seen any of that happen at the running back position yet um but uh it is worth knowing so that's the other thing i'll throw in there about college running back statistics uh anyway yeah uh let me know what you think what i'm missing or you know anything else uh, at pa howdy on twitter really appreciate it and talk to you again next week yeah i'm just kind of ending this all 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 in all in a flurry yeah chicken a crow chicken a crow crossing the road go clicking a poll twitter is gold player unfold so jake on the table and they on the play so pete enumerates the plays are analytical picking my nose don't really know if i like that Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye, eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So, Jake on the table and they on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.